Um, the reading is from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, which can be found on page 1228 in the Church Bibles. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. If everyone born of God overcomes the world, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and by blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is a testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts his testimony. Whoever does not believe God has, been, has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony that God has given about his Son. And this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Good evening, everyone. Um, well, let's pray, and let's ask for God's help that we would hear him speaking to us. Let's pray. Father God, the things that we are about to hear from your word are big things, important things, matters of life and death, of eternity. So we pray that you would help us to listen, help us to know who is speaking to us, help us to take on board what you want to say to us about your son so that we might receive the life you want to give us through him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me there's a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. Now, in case I'm freaking anyone out, that wasn't written by me. <laughs> but that was written by someone who I enormously respected and was very influential on me, um, a pastor called Josh Harris, who I mentioned in a sermon a couple of weeks ago. I think I've got a, a picture, and that's not him, funnily enough. Um, but there is a picture there somewhere. There we are. This is the photo he posted on Instagram, along with that message, um, to tell the world um, that he wasn't a Christian anymore. And that kind of scared me. That kind of shook me when I came across that. And it's, it's not isolated. You know, the, you'll come across many... Many instances of people who this kind of thing happens to. Uh, we sing some songs, you'll see at the bottom, hill song on some of the songs that we sing. Um, a family of churches that puts out loads of songs, we sing some of them. A, a guy called Marty Sampson is one of their songwriters. A similar thing happened to him over this summer. He, I'm not exactly sure where he is, but he started putting out messages that seemed to suggest that he was no longer a Christian. And we, we sing some of his songs. 
But maybe you know people personally who this has happened to. And that can be even, even more scary, even harder. I was speaking to one of our student team last week, I think, and they were saying how someone back home who was their number one person, the person who discipled them, who taught them the gospel pretty much, who showed them what it was like, what it was to live as a Christian, and then over a period of about two years just drifted away, no longer a Christian. Yesterday I was at a university reunion with, um, with some really close friends. Two people in that group of about ten people used to be Christians, went on mission trips, were baptised at the church, at university, seemed to have a real faith, a living faith, and now nowhere. And the reason that shakes you, or the reason it shakes me, is because I go, well, if that can happen to them, then why can't that happen to me? If it seems so real for them, they seem to be flourishing, alive, growing, and then it goes, well, surely that can happen to me as well. Now, two weeks ago, we were looking at the question, how do I know it's true? How can I know what truth even is? But this week, the question is, well, right now, if you're a Christian, I I feel like this is true, but how do I know I'm going to keep on feeling like that? How do I know, in the words of Josh Harris, I'm not going to have my faith deconstructed, taken apart? If you're a Christian, you'll know that sometimes being a Christian, it feels like you're in the sea and there are all sorts of currents going in different directions and you can get caught up in one and swept away and you try and swim against it but you can't do anything, you just get carried along by it. How do I know that's not going to happen to me? Um, the Apostle John, he's writing this letter from, um, from Ephesus to some churches who they've had people teaching different things, who started believing different things about Jesus. And that's carried some people away. He's warned us in this letter there are false prophets, people teaching wrong things. There are antichrists, people opposed to Jesus. He talks about the world, meaning humanity, opposed to Jesus, with the influence of the devil. Other spiritual forces wanting to pull you away. Or maybe it's just, you know, we find the Christian life hard. It's demanding. It feels like we have our own desires for what we want our lives to be like, things we want in our lives, and it feels like God is blocking those off. A big one for people sometimes is a desire for a relationship and for romance, and sometimes it feels like, well, if that can only be with a Christian, then that, that's a problem for me. It feels like God's keeping something away that I want. One of those friends who I said who used to be a Christian, they said to me, I'm just so tired of feeling guilty all the time. It feels like the Christian life's burdensome. Or maybe it's relational. People hurt you or you don't feel valued and you feel bitter. Or just there are hard things in life. There's anxiety. Problems with jobs, with people. And you just kind of drift away. And there are so many ways, so many different ways. You can think of more to just be carried away. So many ways to have your faith taken apart. And it can feel like your faith as a Christian is is like the bit in the wildlife documentary where there's the baby gazelle and the hyenas are circling around it. And you think, well, there's only one way this is going to end. The world eats faith for breakfast. Faith gets taken apart piece by piece. Well, look down at what the passage we just read. What John writes to these Christians who are feeling vulnerable, feeling like their faith can't last. This is the victory, verse 4, that has overcome the world, even our faith. 
John says there is a world overcoming faith. A faith that keeps going. A faith that doesn't give in, that doesn't get eaten alive. And the question is, how do I know I have that kind of faith? Not the other kind of faith. How do I know my faith is the kind that keeps going? That my faith is the one that overcomes all these things, that doesn't get carried away on the current. And this passage is written because John, the Apostle John, who knew these people, this church, said, you have this faith. I can see it. I know you've got it, that it's real. You've got it. And he wants them to know they've got it. And the way this passage speaks to us, if we're Christians, is that God wants you to have world overcoming faith. And he wants you to know that you've got it. He wants you to know you've got faith that can stay strong. To know that you don't have to be shaken. That you can be confident. Now, it's... I have to admit, a pretty tough passage of things that are hard to understand. I felt like I'm banging my head against a wall for significant parts of this week. But I think there are two things that John wants to say, or God wants to say to us through what John has written. And one is how to know whether you have this faith. How can I know I've got it? He wants to let us know how you can know you've got world overcoming faith. And then secondly, what it is. What it means. So how can I know? Firstly, how can I know I have world overcoming faith? World overcoming faith shows itself in newborn life. World overcoming faith shows itself in newborn life. Okay, a little biology lesson. Um, my GCC biology classes were a very long time ago, but I remember a little bit. Now, I learned that there were certain tests that you applied to something to find out whether it's alive, whether it's a living being or not. So this box, um, I'm going to apply some tests to it. Does it eat? doesn't eat, no, no, no. Does it breathe? No. Does it move? Only if I push it. Does it grow? No. Does it reproduce? No. Does it sense? Does it excrete? No, none of those things. This box is not a living creature. It's not alive. Um, maybe I take one of my children's uh, I don't know, kind of com- uh, mechanical cuddly toys that kind of moves around in a kind of scary, freaky way. Like a Furby. Anyone remember Furbies? That kind of thing. Well, it moves... It senses, kind of, interacts with the environment, but it doesn't excrete, thank heaven. It doesn't (laughs) reproduce. It doesn't breathe. It's not alive. The point is, you've got to have all of them. You can't just have one of these tests. You have to have all of them, otherwise you're not scientifically alive. Now, I know medics, there are things called viruses and freaky things out there in the world, but we're keeping it simple for today, okay? You have to pass all the tests to be alive. John has tests. In this letter that he's written, to see if you are spiritually alive. Look down at 5 verse 1. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And then he says that a few more times. People who are born of God. And John has also written a gospel, an account of Jesus' life. And in that, you see Jesus meeting with someone called Nicodemus, a religious leader. And Nicodemus is kind of puzzled about what Jesus is teaching. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, your problem is you need to be born again. And Nicodemus goes, you, you what? How can, I be, how can I be born again? That's impossible. But he says, no, no, you, you need new life. You need me to give you new life inside of you. To start something new so you're under new ownership, new management, new priorities, new drive, new life. And that's... Look at 5 verse 1. Everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ is born of God. This isn't just the, the, the weird born-again Christian. This is everyone. Every Christian starts with a new birth. 
And John has these three tests in this letter, so you can tell where that new birth is. We've seen the truth test. Right at 1 verse 1, he starts off saying, that which we have seen, that which we have touched, which we have held, which we've heard, we're eyewitnesses of these things, that is what we're teaching you. We've seen Jesus, we know Jesus, this is true. And the test is, do you, do you believe what's true about Jesus? Chapter 4 verse 1, he says, don't believe every spirit, test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Is this truth claim from God? The truth test. Secondly, the obedience test. The right living Chapter 1, verse 6, he says, if you claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in darkness, you're lying. Chapter 2, verse 3, he says, we've come to know him if we keep his commands. If you obey God, that's how you see spiritual life. And the third test, the love test, and we saw this last week. Do you have right relationships, right love for one another? And maybe through the letter, this is the loudest of the three tests. Chapter 2, verse 9, he says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is in darkness. Chapter 4, verse 7, let us love one another, for love is from God. And loads more places. These three tests, love, obedience, truth. And just, just briefly, if you remember what was going on in that place, these people who were teaching new teaching about Jesus, teaching different things, and that was leading to division. There wasn't love there. It was leading them to say things about the Christian life that weren't true, to say that you could do what you wanted, that obedience didn't matter. And Paul says, no, no, these three things go together. And what he's doing now in, in these verses is he's, he's been kind of circling around these tests. It might feel a bit repetitive to you. Like we've been there, we've been there. He's going to be going round and round. Now he brings them all together. Look down at 5 verse 1. Everyone who loves the father loves the child. New life shows itself in love. There's the love test. Verse 2, this is how we know we love God by carrying, so we know we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. How do we know we love? By obeying God. Verse 3, he's commanded us to love each other. This is love for God, to keep his commands. So I know I love God when I obey him, and obeying him means loving each other. So the, the obedience test and the love test, they suddenly go click. They're the same thing. You obey God, you love each other. They're the same. Well, they're part of the same thing. And then 5 verse 1 again. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's how it all starts. The truth test. You believe this and that shows itself in new life and in obedience. See what I'm saying? They're all linked together. They're not three separate tests. Just like the tests for life, to see if something's living or not. Now, okay, imagine you go to the pub after the service this evening. Or maybe you're coming in Student Plus. And there's someone there, and they're not eating. That's okay. You might say, well, aren't you having anything to eat? And they say, no, no, I'm just not that kind of a human being, really. I'm more of a, a moving person, not really an eating person. Okay. Then there's someone in the corner, their mouth's tightly shut, they're pinching their nose, and they're going blue. Aren't you going to breathe? No, no, I'm not really a breathing person. I'm, I'm yeah, more of a growing person. More of a reproducing kind of a person. <laughs> okay, scientific fact. You are not technically alive. And very soon you will not be alive. You can't look at these three tests of John and go, well, I'm not really that kind of a Christian. 
And that's what these new teachers were doing. They were, they were saying, we've got this new truth, but loving and obedience, no, no, we're not really that, that kind of Christians. You can't just be a truth Christian. And you'll know if this is you, because you, you love being theologically correct. You love the in-depth Bible study, the, the kind of academic stuff. You love the doctrine. And maybe, yeah, maybe you're kind of brash and argumentative. Maybe you dismiss people when they don't agree with you. But you know, loving, oh, that's not my thing. I'm a truth Christian. And I was thinking about a few times when on my way to preach somewhere, I've walked past somebody who maybe is homeless and sitting by the side of the road. And in my head I go, no, I can't, I can't deal with it right now. I'm, I'm going to preach. That's where I'm going. And not saying you always have to stop, but isn't there something disturbing about that? I'm a truth Christian. I'm not a love Christian. Or maybe you're, you're the love Christian. Uh, emotionally sensitive a bit more. Maybe you love kind of engaging your heart and affections. Maybe, maybe singing and music. That, that's where you love being. But the sermon comes and you're tempted to zone out a little bit. Doctrine. Blech. Those truth Christians, they drive you nuts. It's so cramped, so narrow. Like we, we need church to be love, a love place, not, not a truth place. John says you can't have truth without love. You can't truly love God without listening to him. If you don't have truth, you're, you're not alive or you're dying off. Or maybe you think, well, I'm not really an obedience kind of Christian. I'll, I'll believe it. I'll, I'll love people, that's fine, but... I'm not going to be one of those super intense, all-in, born-again types. Here, I'm a bit cooler than that, thank you. No, no, love, truth, obedience, they go together. Without one of them, John says, that's, that's saying you're not born of God. So, if you have an issue with purity, you can't say, it's okay, I've got truth and love. John says, those who are born of God cannot continue to sin. Yeah, you can struggle with that and you can fight it, but you can't say it doesn't matter. Or relational issues, like we were saying last week. There are, relational issues will just come at us in life because we're broken people. But we can't say, it's okay, I've got truth and I've got obedience, so I don't need to bother with that. I don't need to bother with loving them. John says the command is to love, and if you don't love, you're not obeying. John Calvin, the theologian, said, people who try and separate truth and love, that's like trying to separate the sun and heat. It's impossible. You can't do it. World overcoming faith shows itself in newborn life. One whole newborn life. Okay, well if if we're not seeing these things in our lives, what do we do? The right response isn't to go, well I just need to work harder at these three tests. That's just trying to swim against the current. And John says, chapter 5 verse 3, his commands are not burdensome. Why? For everyone born of God overcomes the world. The point isn't that you work really hard at the test. The point is, you're born of God. And that's what leads to this life expressing itself. So if you're not seeing these things, you need to go back to that life. Go back to the gospel. Go back to Jesus. His life inside you. Jesus who swam against the current. Jesus who hadn't eaten for 40 days. But wouldn't give in when Satan tempted him with bread. Jesus who on the cross was mistreated so horrendously had people throwing insults at him but said father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing his love inside you 
His life inside you. That's what you need to turn to. So if you're struggling, if you're not seeing these tests in you as a Christian, go back to the gospel. Internalize what Jesus has done. Go back to chapter 4, verse 10. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a sacrifice for our sins. You have to work at these things, but you need to be plugged in to that life first. Same thing if you're here and you're not a Christian. You wouldn't say you're a Christian. The, the point isn't go and do these three things. Be loving. Believe some true things and be, be obedient. That's not the point. Because this isn't the way you get new life. It's, it's how new life shows itself. When Jesus said to Nicodemus, you have to be born again, Nicodemus didn't go, okay, great, well, I know how to do that. He says, what are you talking about? I can't go and be born. Look at verse 1. John says, everyone who believes that Jesus the Christ is born of God. So from God's point of view, it's that way round. You're born of God. You have the new life. God does something in you, and then the message makes sense, and you can believe it. So if, you, if it makes sense to you, if you can believe it, that's because God has done something in you. If it doesn't make sense yet, then the thing to do is to, to pray, to ask God, will you help me to make sense of this? Will you show me what it means? But for most of us, this isn't meant to beat us up. This is meant to encourage us. Do you remember what John was trying to do in this letter? Chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you so that you will know that you have eternal life. He's saying, I know you have this because I can see it. And so if you can see in your life that you, yeah, you are struggling with that sin, but you've made progress with it. You can see progress in purity. You can see progress in being able to take someone else's relational mess without throwing it back at them. If you can see you're growing in love for God's word and feeling like that is what gives you life. John says you're alive. You have life. You are alive. Maybe you didn't think you had to come this evening to be told that. But John wants you to know that. You are alive if you can see those things at work in you. At our staff meeting um, this last week, we were reflecting on last week's message um, about God's love expressed among us. And we were thinking, where do we see this? Do, where do we see this in other people? In this room? Or in the church family? And then saying it out loud. And for those of us who are British, that was quite uncomfortable. To look someone in the eye and say, you know what, I'm really encouraged by you. Because I can see God's life at work in you. Maybe that's something you could do. There'll be people here who are discouraged. Who need someone to say, you know what, I can see God's life in you. I can see it's real. Because I can see this reason for you to turn away and yet you're not doing. I can see this way in which you could just turn your back on God and you're not doing. And you're here. And you're listening to God's word and you're... I can see Jesus' life in you. Maybe you could say that to someone. How do I know I have world overcoming faith? Well, it shows itself in newborn life. But what does it mean? What does it mean to have this faith? That's what John does now. This is our second big point. World overcoming faith takes God at his word about his son. Bit of a mouthful, I'll say it again. World overcoming faith takes God at his word about his son. Now, I made a new friend this week. I've got a picture of her here for you. Might not be the best picture in the world. So you can... Bit of a looker. Um, this is... Uh, Nike, or we'll call her Nike, because that's where the sports brand got their name from. She's the Greek goddess of victory. 
And she, um, in Greek mythology, flew around the battlefield giving success, giving victory to those who were worthy, to those who deserved it. And that's where we get the, the, you know, the, the name of the sports brand, Nike. It's also where we get the word that we find in this passage. To overcome, to have victory. When Paul says, it, John, sorry, this is John. When John says in verse 4, this is the victory that's overcome the world, he's saying this is the Nike that's overcome the world, our faith. We'll come back to it in a minute. But when we read that verse, this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith, we can hear that wrong. Because we can hear it as if it's our faith that's doing the overcoming. So society, I think, broadly thinks faith, that's kind of a good thing. Faith is a kind of inner motivation, an inner drive, an inner power that gets you through life. It helps you overcome. Faith in yourself, that can overcome self-doubt and insecurity. Faith in humanity can help you overcome despair. Faith in some kind of transcendent being or something else, that can help you overcome fear. It doesn't really matter what your faith is in. As long as you've got some. Your faith is what does the overcoming. Your faith is what drives you and gets you through. So Nike, the sports brand, I think in recent years, we um, changed their slogan from just do it to believe in something. Believe in what? Oh, something. doesn't matter. As long as you believe. Just have something that you've got faith in. Your faith will carry you. Now take that into first century Ephesus and they would laugh at you. So, Nike. Um, this, it, this fact, this very bit of stone is from first century, Eph- well it was there in first century Ephesus. And if I'm right, I think it was, as you would go down into the downtown area, you'd have to go through a big stone archway and she was on the top of that. So people in Ephesus knew this. So when John's using this word, overcoming, they're, they're thinking this. They're thinking this person. You go into Ephesus and say, so um, how do I overcome? How do I overcome the world? They go, look up. Look at her. Have faith in her. If you go to them and say, well, I'm going to overcome the world because I have faith. And they go, faith in what? And you go, oh, I don't know. Just have faith. They think you're crazy. No, 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 no. No, Look up. That's Nike. There's the temple. Go and make a sacrifice to Nike. That's how you get her on your side. That's how you get her favor. Then she will make sure you overcome. This idea that faith in nothing, in anything, would overcome... That would never enter their minds. That never entered John's mind as he's writing this. Faith is specific. Faith has an object. It has content. And that's what John is unpacking in this, the second half of this passage. What is this faith? And there are three questions that I think he wants to ask us. Firstly, the what. What are you believing about Jesus? Look at 5 verse 5. John says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believed that Jesus is the Son of God. And again, as we saw last week, that feels a bit like a low bar. Because there are lots of different Jesuses out there, peddled by people who have an agenda. They want, they, want, they want something, and so they have a Jesus to get there. So they have a political Jesus, a liberation Jesus, a social action Jesus for those who want a certain social change, and they, they have a Jesus to get there. Or you might have teacher Jesus, inspiration Jesus, self-help Jesus for people who want to improve their lives. They want to do well. They want to get good grades. They want their kids to go to good schools. They've got a Jesus for it. There's prosperity Jesus for people who want your money. 
There's fairy godmother Jesus, people who just want to live happily ever after, but no change in their lives. And the world says it doesn't matter which one. Just believe in a Jesus if you want or anything else. Just pick one. But John says, no, no, no. This is specific. This, verse 6, is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. Okay. What does that mean? Well, the water I'm... People have written a lot about this. I think the water means his baptism. When Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. When you see the Holy Spirit coming down in a visible way on Jesus. And John says in his gospel, that was a sign that this is the one from God. He is the son of God. And in other gospels, we have a voice that happens then. and The Spirit comes down on Jesus and a voice from heaven says, this is my son. And it seems like John and the other teachers, so the people who'd gone, they, they agreed. You know, look at the baptism, that shows you who Jesus is. That is the divine son of God. But the blood, well, they didn't agree about that. The blood is Jesus' death on the cross. And it seems like the people who'd left, the other teachers, they were saying, well, that wasn't Jesus the son of God. The God bit left, kind of flew away maybe, and that just a man Jesus died. So that's not important. Let's concentrate on the baptism, the spirit, the knowledge, the inspiration, the teacher Jesus. Not, not the dying Jesus. That, that's not important. And John's saying, no, 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 not just water, blood. He came by the water and the blood. He was the son of God all the way through. The son of God died on the cross. Why does that matter? Why does it matter which Jesus you choose? Well, we saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And what does he mean? He means, well, so goes from John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out. This, this is where I overcome. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He's saying, I overcome, I'm going to drive out the prince of this world, Satan, I'm going to overcome this world when I'm lifted up on a cross. That's where Jesus overcomes. John's insisted in this letter, he might overcome all sorts of things. You see, in John's Gospel, Jesus overcomes demonic powers. He overcomes blindness. He overcomes human opposition. He overcomes all sorts of things. And he might overcome all sorts of things in your life. Jesus might help you overcome self-doubt. He might help you overcome insecurity. He might even help you overcome poverty. He might even heal you. Who knows? But John says if he hasn't overcome your sin, your debt before God, if he hasn't overcome your darkness, you do not overcome. This is why he's insisting that you get Jesus right. It matters what you believe about Jesus. If, if I was to say about Heather, my wife, you know, I, I love Heather. She's brilliant. All right. Her long red hair and her amazing ability playing the bagpipes. It sounds very nice, but it bears no relation to my wife. It's not the right Heather. It means nothing. And there are loads of Jesuses. And whether it's the self-help Jesus, the prosperity Jesus, the healing Jesus, the political Jesus, well, it might have some truth to it. But if it's not the cross Jesus... If it's not the atoning sacrifice, Jesus. If it's not the devil-crushing, sin-paying, wrath-diverting, evil-defeating, Son of God dying on a cross, then Jesus doesn't overcome the world. And neither do you. It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus. What do you believe about him? 
Specifically, do you believe he is God become man to die for sins? John says it matters. World overcoming faith takes God at his word about his son, this son, this Jesus. As the what, then the who. Who are you listening to? Who are you believing? You might have followed um, some of the proceedings in the attempted impeachment of Donald Trump, President Trump. And each time there's a witness who comes forward, and you see in this passage lots of words about witness and testify and testimony. Each time there's a witness come forward, they get attacked. They get attacked either on, are they trustworthy? Can we trust them to tell the truth? What are they like? Or, were they in a position to know? So several tweets have gone out saying, I've no idea who this person is. He had nothing to do with it. They weren't in the room. They're, they're way out of the loop. They wouldn't know anything. Imagine someone comes up to me and says, tell me about your son. And I say, well, oh, Nathan, he's, he's seven years old. No, he's not. He's nine. Okay. Well, no, he's seven years old. He's got blonde hair. No, no, no. He's got red hair. Okay. And this person just keeps arguing with me. I'm like, hang on. He's my son. Don't you think I know? Don't you think I know about my own son? And these people in this church, or who've left the church, they've said, we've got new information about Jesus. It's different from what God's already said, but we've got the right information. And John's saying, who are you going to trust? Are you going to listen to those random people? How would they know? Or are you going to listen to God? Verse 6, his spirit who persuades you internally that this truth about Jesus is true. Or verse 8, the water and the blood, the, the baptism and the voice And the blood, the cross, where the centurion stood underneath and said, surely this man was the son of God. It all points to Jesus and who he is. Are you going to believe what God has said? Or are you going to believe what they say? John says, verse 9, we accept human testimony, but there's a greater witness here. Someone who doesn't need a dodgy lie detector test, like in Jeremy Kyle, because he is the truth. Someone who's in a position to know, because it's his son. Who are you going to believe? World overcoming faith takes God at his word. Thirdly, what does God want? Because maybe this has got your back up and you're thinking, well, you want me to believe this. It feels kind of circular. It feels like, well, John says it's from God, so well, I have to believe it then. Someone's just trying to get one over on me here. Well, firstly, I need to say to you, well, John isn't, he's not writing out to try and persuade you. This is a particular kind of writing that we're not very familiar with that is designed to actually take people who already believe something and deepen what they believe and strengthen it and tell them not to leave it. But also, John is someone who, who knew Jesus, saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, met the risen Jesus. He's not asking them to believe based on nothing. But maybe you think, I'm not sure what the agenda is here. So thirdly, what does God want? Why has he sent this son? Verse 11, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. God wants to give us life. Eternal life. And that does mean literally never-ending life. Indestructible life that smashes out the back of death. That overcomes death. But it's also life that is eternal in quality and fullness relationship with God. Life that satisfies all your desires. It's described in John as being coming out of darkness into light. Coming out of chaos into peace. To be born of God. To be set free from the fear of death. That's what he wants to give you. 
And to make that possible, he sent his son, his precious, lovely son, to die for you. He's given you himself. So if you think it's a power play, you think he's trying to get one over on you. How much more can he do? He's given you himself, his own son for you. World overcoming faith takes God at his word about his son and says, I want that life. I need that life. So as we close, how are you going to respond to Jesus? What are you going to believe about Jesus? Who are you going to believe about Jesus? John says in verse 12, whoever has the son has life. Jesus is life. Jesus is life that overcomes everything, that fills you and that lasts. Don't you want that? Maybe you're thinking, well, that's not, actually, that's not very attractive. I don't want that. I feel like I've got what's best in life and I want to keep it. There's a famous quote by C.S. Lewis, the Christian writer. He said, we're like children making mud pies in the slum because we don't understand that we're being offered a holiday by the seaside. He wants to give you eternal life. Isn't that better? Or maybe you are a Christian. You feel like you're just hemmed in. You feel like the Christian life is burdensome. And you feel like there are other voices, other ways to be spiritual maybe. John says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. You might remember, if you were here when we were preaching through John's Gospel earlier in the year, Peter says to Jesus, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the one who has life. Where else would we go? Anywhere else would be infinite loss. So that's you and you're on the fence and thinking, well, maybe I go. Maybe this is my last time in church. Please, get this clear. God wants to give you life. But we started saying, how can I know I have world overcoming faith? Firstly, you can see you have it because it expresses itself in newborn life. If you've got it, you're alive. Scientific fact. And then a simple choice. Will you take God at his word? He's given you life in his son. And will you reach out for him? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time. Keep taking him at his word. John says, I write these things to you so that you may know you have eternal life. And Jesus says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. How are you going to respond? Let's take a moment and just think and reflect on that and then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We've come to know and to trust that you are the Holy One of God, the Son of God, the one who has life. Please convince us that is true. Please let us see that as infinitely better than anything else we could have. Help us to take you seriously. Father, help us to take you at your word. And help us to know as we see your life worked out in us that we have this world overcoming faith. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.